Okay, we will continue now with the study of the Satipatthana Sutta. And in the last class, we completed the entire section on Kayanupasana, that is the contemplation of the body. And the contemplation of the body is usually said to contain 14 sections. First, there is anapanasati, or mindfulness of breathing. Then there is the contemplation of the postures. Then the practice of clear comprehension. Then the reflection on the repulsiveness of the body. Then fifth, the contemplation of the four great elements. And then there are the nine cemetery contemplations. Each of those is considered a separate exercise. So that makes 14 sections. And now we come to the second foundation of mindfulness. This is the contemplation of feeling, or Vedananupasana. First we'll examine the text, then we'll give explanation. Okay, the Buddha says, and how monk does a monk live contemplating feelings in feelings? Here, here in monk, when experiencing a pleasant feeling, a monk knows I experience a pleasant feeling. When experiencing a painful feeling, he knows I experience a painful feeling. When experiencing a neither pleasant nor painful feeling, he knows I experience a neither pleasant nor painful feeling. Okay, that is one subsection which shows the three main types of feelings. Now, the Buddha, in what follows, will introduce a way of classifying each of these types of feelings into two distinct types. One of these two will be what's called a worldly feeling, and the other is what might be called a spiritual or unworldly feeling. So the Buddha says, when experiencing a pleasant worldly feeling, he knows I experience a pleasant worldly feeling. When experiencing a pleasant spiritual feeling, he knows 
I experience a pleasant spiritual feeling. Then the same division for painful feeling. When experiencing a painful worldly feeling, he knows I experience a painful worldly feeling. When experiencing a painful spiritual feeling, he knows I experience a painful spiritual feeling. Then the same distinction for the neutral feeling, the neither pleasant nor painful feeling. When experiencing a neither pleasant nor painful worldly feeling, he knows I experience a neither pleasant nor painful worldly feeling. When experiencing a neither pleasant nor painful feeling, he knows I experience a neither pleasant nor painful spiritual feeling. Okay, I'll stop at this point and then give explanation. Okay, with this section, the contemplation on feeling, the practice of Satipatthana meditation turns away from the material, the material side that is the physical body, and focuses upon the mental side of experience, which includes here feeling and later the state of mind or consciousness. Now feeling is the particular mental factor which has the function of experiencing the, what we could call the affective quality of an object. That is, it's the mental factor which introduces a particular uh, tone. I use the word affective with an A, not with an E. A-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E. Which means the quality of, it's really hard to explain in any simpler language. But I think the simplest, the simplest way to understand it is simply by way of the analysis of feeling itself. Whenever we experience any object, any sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, or think of any object with the mind, that experience of the object has some kind of tone or quality of being either pleasant, in which case there's a pleasant feeling, or it can be a painful feeling, or if it's an indifferent object, then there will be a feeling which is neither pleasant nor painful. This feeling is called a neutral feeling. Sometimes 
feeling is experienced passively because of the nature of the object. For example, if one goes outside in the early morning and there's a beautiful sunset, then naturally, did I say in the morning? I say, if there's a beautiful sunrise, <laughs> then naturally there will tend to arise a pleasant feeling that's determined largely by the input from the object. If you scrape your toe against the ground, then naturally there will arise a painful physical feeling, and often that will give rise to a painful mental feeling also, some displeasure or dissatisfaction with that painful contact. And then, usually, if one is, say, walking down the street and one just happens to see the tree that one passes every day, then there'll tend to be a neutral feeling. So, in, to this extent, to some degree, the feeling is determined largely by the nature of the object. But also, it's possible through the particular proclivities of the mind that the mind can introduce a feeling which is not in keeping with the nature of the object. For example, if somebody comes out into that beautiful sunset, sunrise <laughs> and maybe he had a bad, difficult night trying to sleep, then the sight of the beautiful sunrise might just accentuate his feeling of displeasure and discomfort, and so it will make him feel unhappy rather than happy. Somebody, they might be sitting in meditation and sitting for a long time with the legs crossed and there will be rising painful physical feelings coming from the buttocks and from the legs. But because he's trained his mind to be able to simply observe the feelings, rather than to passively react to them, then he'll experience mental equanimity, neither pleasant nor painful mental feelings, while he's observing the painful physical feeling coming up from the body. And somebody might <laughs> an object which is ordinarily a neutral and different object, but that object might have some special significance for him. For example, the tree that he passes every day might be the place where he meets his future wife. <laughs> and so then, whenever he passes that tree in the future, then Perhaps if he has a happy marriage, that 
tree will arouse pleasant feelings in him. If, it, if it's an unhappy marriage, <laughs> then it will arouse dissatisfaction and sorrow in him. So in that way, the feeling is also determined in part by the mental disposition which intermix with the object and in some cases can overpower the quality, the effective quality of the object itself. Now, normally, when we live our ordinary life, we are constantly experiencing different feelings. Sometimes there are pleasant feelings, sometimes there are painful feelings, sometimes there are neutral or indifferent feelings. And usually we just let ourselves be carried away by the feelings. That is, the feeling becomes a kind of stimulus or trigger which sets off a mental process by which we react to that feeling and by reacting to that feeling out of ignorance or delusion we set in motion a train of mental processes which keep us in bondage to suffering. Usually when we have a pleasant feeling when we experience pleasurable objects, then we don't have, we don't set up mindfulness, but we let the object remain in the mind, and usually that pleasant object will set in motion loba, that is greed. Greed to acquire that object which stimulates that feeling, or clinging, which makes us become attached to that object and to try to hold on to it. Then, when we experience painful objects, objects which set off painful feelings, again, when we don't set up mindfulness, we just respond passively to that painful object and it will set off aversion that anger, hatred, ill will against that object and also fear and anxiety that maybe we will be conquered by that object in the future. And so we become frightened, anxious, or we become angry and upset. And then in the case of neutral feeling, feeling which is neither painful nor pleasant, again, delusion comes in, and we just remain in a state of what's called in Pali Anyanupeka, which means it's a kind of equanimity which arises from 
lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. It's not the true equanimity which comes from wisdom, but it's just the state of dull indifference. And different people have, and different people, different defilements are particularly strong. And so they are constantly reacting to particular kinds of feelings. In some people, greed or desire is very strong. And so those are the people who are always on the lookout for pleasant feelings and are trying to lead their lives for the purpose of enhancing pleasure, acquiring possessions which they think will give them pleasure, establishing their personal relationships with those people who will contribute to their quest for pleasure and enjoyment. Those are often pleasant people to get along with when things are going their way. But also they are they partly dangerous people because they're always trying to obtain their personal advantage, to take advantage of us. Then there are other people in whom ill will or aversion is dominant. Those are people who are constantly were very sensitive to painful feelings and constantly living their lives in misery and unhappiness, dissatisfaction, or fear and anxiety. Then people in whom delusion is especially strong are people who live in just the state of dull indifference not particularly aggressive, not particularly bent on pleasure, but just living a life of blind conformity to everyday routine. Now, the input of pleasure, or the input of feeling, is especially important in the Buddha's teaching because it's the input of, of feeling which sets in motion these defilements. And it's these defilements which keep us in bondage to suffering, to the suffering of samsara, the round of rebirth. And further, under the influence of ignorance or delusion, we form the notion of a self, a truly existent person who experiences the feeling. And so whenever we experience pleasant feelings, we think, I am experiencing pleasure. When we undergo a when we undergo a painful feeling, then we think, I am experiencing pain. When we undergo a neutral or indifferent feeling, we think, 
I am undergoing a neutral feeling. And so this view of self gets constructed on top of the feeling. And that becomes also an especially strong bond. Okay, now the Buddha has introduced the contemplation of feeling as a separate foundation of mindfulness because feeling plays such an important role in generating those mental states which hold us in bondage. And it's through the contemplation of feeling that we learn to be able to create a certain open space between the feelings which come flowing into our mind through contact with objects and the reaction that takes place in the mind in response to that feeling. By setting up mindfulness to be able to contemplate and to observe a pleasant feeling simply as a pleasant feeling, then we weaken and eventually eliminate that built-in tendency to respond to the pleasant feeling with grasping and clinging. When we develop mindfulness and can apply the mindfulness to the painful feeling, then when a painful feeling arises, then we do not respond to it with aversion, displeasure, fear, and worry, but instead we can observe it simply as painful feeling. And then the very subtle neutral feeling, the feeling which is neither pleasant nor painful, instead of allowing that feeling to sweep us away in the state of dull indifference, we learn to observe this as another type of feeling which also arises. And by learning to observe feeling in this way, then we also start to break down the identification with the feeling, the clinging to feeling with the idea that this is me, I am feeling, this feeling is myself. Instead, feeling becomes evident as just a mental event, a particular way of experiencing an object, something which arises and passes away. And so by making the feeling an object of contemplation, one can see first the impermanence of feeling, since whatever feeling is experienced is found to arise, to persist for a little while, then to pass away. 
And as the contemplation of feeling gets stronger, then one can see this impermanence of feeling at increasingly subtle levels, so that what seems to be a single feeling, which is lasting for some time, will be seen as actually a succession of short, quick, rapid feelings just arising and passing away. And then this contemplation of feelings will also show the characteristic of anatta, selflessness or egolessness. Because instead of identifying with feelings as oneself, one is just observing it as an event that arises stands in front of you the same way as a glass of water could stand in front of you and then passes away. Okay, so first, the first way in which the Buddha analyzes feeling is in terms of the three types, pleasant, painful, and neutral feeling. Then he brings in this distinction that there are pleasant worldly feelings and pleasant spiritual feelings. And when one of these types of pleasant feeling arises, then the meditator will note first whether it's a pleasant feeling, then whether it is worldly or spiritual. The worldly pleasant feeling will be a feeling of pleasure or enjoyment which arises with some worldly object as its basis or with some emotion connected to worldly life as its basis. For example, one might be sitting, say following the breath in, out, in, out. Then after a few turns, the mind might start turning towards an enjoyable discussion that you might have had yesterday with a friend. Or you might start thinking if your children have achieved some success, gotten a good job, then you start thinking about that, and then a pleasant feeling arises. That's a worldly pleasant feeling. Or one starts thinking of maybe a delicious meal one would like to eat, or a particular type of drink one would like to enjoy. Or one starts thinking of sometimes beautiful music that you heard, and then the tune starts running through the mind, and you start listening to that tune in the mind, enjoying it, that's also a pleasant worldly feeling. So any kind of pleasant feeling which is connected to any kind of mundane or worldly experience. Then a pleasant spiritual feeling would be a type of feeling that arises especially in connection with 
the meditation practice. For example, one might be practicing anapanasati, and then as one's concentration improves, then one might start experiencing some bliss and happiness through that concentration. And if one doesn't recognize that pleasant feeling as simply a pleasant spiritual feeling, then one might start to become attached to that pleasant spiritual feeling, and before long one is becoming very anxious about whether one's concentration is good enough, because one wants to keep on building up that pleasant spiritual feeling or else one starts thinking from because of that pleasant spiritual feeling that ah, now I'm <laughs> certainly on the way to some attainment of some, maybe some path and fruit. And so then the pleasant feeling will become stronger and one gets carried away with one's intentions of reaching some attainment. Or else if one is practicing meditation, then if, as one's concentration gets good, then one might think, we might have a kind of mental image of the Buddha and think, well, the Buddha practiced this anapanasati and he praised it, and so since I'm practicing it, therefore I'm following the Buddha's instructions, and then some pleasant feeling arises. So in these ways, a pleasant spiritual feeling arises, and if one doesn't notice, but just gets carried away by it, then the mind drifts off its course and becomes distracted. <coughs> okay, then a painful feeling might arise. There could be a painful, worldly feeling. That's a feeling of displeasure, sorrow, grief, dissatisfaction, which arises because of some worldly matter. Maybe one didn't get a job that one was applying for, one didn't get a raise that one expected, one didn't achieve a particular goal that one set for oneself, or one's children are making trouble, or one's husband or wife is not so congenial. So some worldly matter intrudes on the mind, and some feeling of dissatisfaction, discontent arises. That's a painful, a worldly painful feeling. Then also there is a painful spiritual feeling. This is a feeling that arises if one is, for example, practicing meditation and one is really expecting to make very rapid progress. You know, you might hear about other people who have had very exhilarating experiences and you think you can just go very, very quickly 
And so when you sit down and start to practice, then the mind does not progress as rapidly as you expected. And then some feeling of displeasure or dissatisfaction arises. You think, well, I'm a hopeless case. I just can't do it. Or this practice is too hard for me. Or you put in a lot of energy and the mind becomes exhausted. So all of these feelings of disappointment with one's practice, these are painful spiritual feelings. Or even if one achieves, for example, some success in practice, sometimes very rapidly, but that success does not yet have firm enough foundation. And so maybe for three or four days you might have very good experience, very good concentration, then the mind after that gets distracted, scattered, no matter how you try to concentrate it, the mind still won't concentrate. Then that discontent arises. And then the neutral feeling also has the same two types of qualities. Sometimes there are worldly neutral feelings when you think of some worldly situation and there's just indifference in the mind. For example, if you're trying to focus on the in and out breathing and then the mind starts getting lost in the train of thoughts about articles that you read in the newspaper and it's not events that affect you very strongly, you know, events that might be taking place in Europe or North America, but these are just distracting thoughts that arise in the mind and you start thinking about them with a feeling of just indifference. That's worldly indifference or neutral feeling. Then the spiritual neutral feeling is the equanimity that arises when one's practice of meditation advances, when one makes progress, then no matter what arises, whether pleasant physical feelings, neutral feelings, painful feelings, whatever arises, one is able to contemplate with neutrality of mind, then equanimity establishes itself. That's a spiritual neutral feeling. Okay, so that, those are the basic divisions in the Buddha's explanation of contemplation of feeling. Now, the way contemplation of feeling is taken up in the course of meditation practice can be in two ways. I mean, there, there are many ways, <laughs> but oh, 
speak of twofold division. One is it can be used as a temporary meditation subject when you are using something else as your main meditation subject. Generally in the practice of Satipatthana, the meditation teachers usually begin by assigning a practice which falls in the domain of kayanupasana, some kind of contemplation of the body. Because the body is the most, it's the grossest, and therefore it's the most evident of the four foundations of mindfulness. So usually one will begin with anapanasati, or some Burmese teachers use the rise and fall of the abdomen. And that will be the primary meditation subject. And so if you're doing anapanasati, you'll be trying to note the breathing in, out, in, out. If you're using the abdomen, then you'll be noting the sensations of rising, rising, falling, falling. But sometimes it happens that when one is trying to focus on that primary subject, then there will arise a particular type of feeling. Usually, at the beginning, when one is trying to sit cross-legged, when one is trying to sit cross-legged at the beginning, there will arise after some time painful feelings, painful feelings in the legs or in the back. And usually the impulse, the first impulse, is to start changing the posture, to recross, to undo the legs and to cross them in a different way, to shift the body. But in the practice of the pasana, one is told not to change the posture as soon as feelings of pain and discomfort arise, but rather simply to note the painful feeling, just make a mental note of it, pain, pain, then bring the mind back to the primary subject breathing either in and out, in and out, or noting the rise, fall, rise and falling of the abdomen. Sometimes the painful feelings take on quite specific qualities. Then you should note the specific quality of the painful feeling. Sometimes it's a dull aching, aching. So then you'll just make the mental note aching pain, aching pain. Sometimes it's a shooting pain, so you'll note shooting, 
shooting. Sometimes it's a pressing pain. So you might note pressing, pressing. Sometimes it will have a stabbing quality. So you'll note stabbing, stabbing. So whatever the quality of the feeling is, you just notice, then bring the mind back to the object, the primary object of meditation, the breath or the rise and fall of the abdomen. Then as one is practicing again with his primary object, sometimes the concentration will become very good and then there will arise pleasant mental feelings. This will be a spiritual a spiritual pleasant feeling. So if there arises some joy or bliss or delight because of the success of the practice, then one notes again pleasant feeling, pleasant feeling, or pleasant spiritual feeling, pleasant spiritual feeling. If it's a If that pleasant spiritual feeling passes away as you try to grasp it, then there could arise a painful spiritual feeling. You become disappointed and dejected. Then you would just note that as a painful mental feeling, painful mental feeling, or disappointment, disappointment, dejection, dejection, whatever. And then making that mental note, then you bring the mind back to the primary object of meditation, which is <coughs> some bodily object, the breath or the rise and fall of the abdomen. <coughs> but it might happen that while one is trying to Focus the mind on the physical object that the feeling just becomes too strong, too overpowering. This is especially the case with painful feelings, especially the pains in the legs and the back. In that case, one lays aside the use of the primary meditation object. One lays the bodily object aside and one turns the attention just to focus on the feeling. One makes the pain an object of attention or an object of observation just like putting a slide under the microscope. You can look through the microscope and you see on the slide you might see cells and you see the cell membranes and the nucleus and all the different parts of the cell. And you don't identify with 
the specimens on the slides. You don't have any liking or disliking for it, but it's just something that you're watching. In the same way you treat these feelings that are arising, these painful feelings, they come rising up, and you just keep on watching a stream of painful feelings, and you contemplate them, as the Buddha says, you contemplate feelings in the feelings. Instead of thinking, oh, my legs are killing me, or I feel like my back is going to, to break, <laughs> one just observes the feeling just as a feeling, observing it at finer and finer levels until you get like a stream or succession of quickly rising and falling away painful feelings. What appears to be like a solid mass of painful feeling at first turns out to be just a succession of very, very brief, very short-lived painful feelings. Somewhat like when you hear static on a radio, it's not just one continuous sound, but it's you know, a puttering of little beeps, little beeping sounds, very quickly rising and falling away. So one sees the feelings in the same way, just rising and falling, rising and falling, and then the mind becomes can become very, very powerfully concentrated just on that stream of painful feelings. And also when one practices in that way, sometimes the pain will keep on building up in greater, greater intensity. And one just tries to observe it as long as possible, till you might just be observing overwhelming pain, overwhelming pain, devastating pain, <laughs> devastating pain. But sometimes it happens that suddenly all the pain just falls away and then one just returns suddenly to the primary object and the pain is gone. But if one becomes very apprehensive that one is going to pull a tendon or sprain the leg, then it's better not to persist too long, but try to bear with the pain as is to make the feeling itself, the main subject of contemplation. In order to do this, one has to generally have some experience in building up concentration by using a physical then one can take feelings themselves as a primary subject of meditation and just contemplate whatever feelings arise in the body. There's one particular tradition of insight meditation which originated in Burma and has become very widespread through the influence of 
Sri Goenka of India, which uses feeling as a main subject of contemplation. In this technique, one begins for a few days by using Anapanasati in order to build up the power of samadhi or concentration. But after the mind develops concentration, in this technique, one applies the attention to first to the top of the head till one tries to feel the sensations occurring there. And then one gradually goes through the entire body in order to experience whatever feelings are occurring at very, very, very subtle levels throughout all the parts of the body. Okay, so now, after giving the main explanation, the Buddha concludes the section on the contemplation of feeling with that standard passage which comes at the end of all the exercises in Satipatthana. That is, he says, thus he lives contemplating feelings in feelings internally. That is the main way of practice which means that one observes or contemplates the feelings that are occurring in oneself, in one's own body and mind. Then the Buddha says, or he lives contemplating feelings in feelings externally. This doesn't mean that you try to experience the feelings that other people are undergoing, since that's impossible. But rather, sometimes when one is undergoing a particular feeling, then one might consider just momentarily that others also undergo these same feelings. For example, <laughs> What if you're sitting and you're experiencing very severe pains in the legs or in the back, then the idea might come that others who have practiced this meditation have also experienced these same feelings. That I'm not alone in undergoing these, these feelings. And so just momentarily that idea might come. Or else, the Buddha says, he lives contemplating feelings and feelings internally and externally. Or also, I should continue under externally, if, as one's practice succeeds, if one experiences bliss and happiness and delight through concentration, then one might consider that I'm not the only one who has experienced this, but others also have gone through the same experience. When one experiences the painful feelings, then one tends to become depressed 
But if one considers that others also experience this, then it helps the mind to overcome that depression. Also, one could consider that all the Buddhas, Pacheka Buddhas, Arahants, noble disciples, all of them, when they started their practice, underwent the same experience of painful feelings. So, I'm not unique, and there's nothing to be depressed because of it. Then, when one experiences blissful, pleasant feelings as concentration increases, then one might start to become proud or give rise to conceit and think, wow, I must be somebody special. (laughs) I must be experiencing the same bliss that only these very exalted Buddhas have experienced. (laughs) But if one contemplates feeling externally, then one might consider that I'm not the only one who experiences this bliss, but many others who have some success with their meditation also experience bliss. And in fact, maybe what I'm experiencing is just like the foothills of the mountain. In that way, that kind of consideration will help to discourage the arising of conceit and overestimation of one's own abilities. And then one might live contemplating feelings and feelings internally and externally. That is, shifting the mind back and forth from one's own experience of feelings to consider that others also undergo these same feelings the mind can go rapidly back and forth. Okay, then the Buddha says, he lives contemplating origination factors and feelings, or he lives contemplating dissolution factors and feelings, or he lives contemplating origination and dissolution factors and feelings. And this is explained by the commentary using the principle of dependent origination. The commentary says that to explain To understand why feelings arise, one has has to consider that it's because of the ignorance and craving from the past and through the karma of the past that's coming to maturity now and through the contacts that I'm undergoing now, these feelings are are arising. And then to understand the contemplation of dissolution factors. The commentary says one has to consider that by the ending of ignorance and craving, the ending of karma, then there will not be any further feeling. 
that's the explanation of the commentary which I think maybe makes it somewhat <laughs> too complicated a little complicated and difficult I think it in my view it makes more sense to understand the origination of Samudaya Dhamma and Vaya Dhamma here as the event of the arising and the event of the dissolving of the feeling. So that the Samudaya Dhamma, the origination factors, is the arising of each feeling and the dissolution factor is the passing away or destruction of each feeling. So sometimes one will be seeing with greater prominence, one will be seeing the arising of feelings, especially when a new feeling occurs. First, one might be feeling, for example, pleasure. If one is developing good concentration, then suddenly pain starts coming up from the leg and becoming first a dull ache then it becomes stronger, stronger, till it becomes stabbing, shooting, <laughs> racking pain. And so then one sees the origination factor for painful feeling. Then one might become dejected because of the painful physical feeling, so then you'll see how a painful mental feeling arises through the influence of a painful physical feeling. Or if one is able to endure the painful physical feeling, then a mental pleasant feeling will arise through one's ability to overcome the pain. So one might be seeing how different types of feeling originate in one's own immediate experience from these different situations. And in the opposite way, one can see how feelings which persist for some time dissolve or pass away when a new situation arises. When the painful feeling arises from the leg then the joy that has arisen because of good concentration, that dissolves and passes away. When one overcomes the painful feeling in the legs, then the dejection that was in the mind, that dissolves or passes away, and a happy feeling or a feeling of equanimity becomes established. Or one can live contemplating both together, seeing how one feeling arises, another feeling dissolves, a still different feeling arises, and the old feeling dissolves. And also, as one is just contemplating the stream of feelings taking place from moment to moment, then one will see 
in quick succession how the one feeling just arises and almost as soon as it's sprung up it's immediately replaced by another feeling and another feeling and another feeling till feelings are occurring it seems like a hundred or a thousand per second so quickly they're occurring and one just sees the arising and passing away of these feelings or else the mindfulness is established with the thought there is feeling feeling exists here one has just withdrawn the mind from the particular quality of the feeling whether it's pleasant painful or neutral and whatever type of feeling arises one is just observing it as bare feeling just some type of feeling which arises and passes away and so that awareness or consideration that feeling exists this is set up only to the extent necessary for knowledge that's for gaining insight knowledge into the nature of feeling and for the strengthening of mindfulness then he says the Buddha says and he that the meditator lives detached and clings to nothing in the world that shows the we can say the result of successful practice of contemplation of feeling that one is detached from whatever feeling arises and one does not cling to anything in the world especially in this place in this case one does not cling with desire to pleasant feelings and one doesn't react to painful feelings with displeasure dislike aversion and fear and thus monks a monk lives contemplating feelings in feelings okay so that will be the explanation of Vedananupasana the contemplation of feeling if there are any questions then please go ahead and ask Is everything so perfectly clear that there's... Sometimes, especially with mental feelings, they can be subtle. Things like <laughs> painful feelings that arise in the legs, those are not so difficult to identify. <laughs>
body. Yeah. Now, dependent on the body Yeah. When the Buddha, often when he analyzes the nature of feeling, or when he wants to explain the nature of feeling, then he'll say, what is feeling? And he'll say, there are six types of feeling. Feeling born of eye contact, feeling born of ear contact, feeling born of nose contact, tongue contact, body contact, and mind contact. Okay, so there are those six types of feeling. Now, in the practice of Vedanāṇupāsana, even though the Buddha doesn't include that sixfold analysis, but we can understand that it's implied. He's not saying that there's only one type, that only one type of feeling is to be considered only bodily feeling. In many of the examples I'm giving, I'm using bodily feeling because when somebody is doing especially cross-legged sitting meditation, then generally there's only two types of feelings that take place. Feeling, well, it could be three actually. Feelings from the body and mental feelings. There can also be feelings arisen through the hearing. At the time when one is sitting cross-legged, the eyes are closed or half-closed, so one isn't seeing forms, unless somebody is cooking something (laughs) nearby or there's a a breeze bringing the smell of flowers, then one is not smelling anything, one is not tasting anything. So the only sense doors that are involved or active would be the ears, the physical body, and the mind door. Okay, but when I was giving the examples, I referred only to the body and to the mind, what occurs at the mind door. But if one is practicing contemplation of feeling in day-to-day life, or in the course of normal activities, then also one would will, will be contemplating feelings that arise through any of the six senses. And in fact, when the Buddha is explaining to the monks the practice called Indriya Sangvara, that is restraint of the sense faculties, the Buddha will say that when he sees a form with the eye, for example, hears a sound with the ear, 
smells, some scent with the nose, tastes, some flavor with the tongue, feels some contact with the body, then he doesn't become drawn to the pleasant or repelled by the unpleasant. Yeah, the clear comprehension will also apply in that case, even though it's not, also it's not mentioned in the section on clear comprehension, which in that, in this sutta, only is explained with reference to bodily activities because it comes under kaya and upasana. Okay, so all of these sense, all the feelings that arise through any of the six sense faculties are, you could say, working material for vedana and upasana. So whatever, through whatever sense base the feeling arises, if it's a pleasant feeling that arises, then one notes it as pleasant. If it's a painful feeling, then one notes it as painful. If it's a neutral feeling, then one notes it as neutral. Okay, so that's, I think, one part of your question. The other part is, why are the six sense bases put under Dhammanupasana? I think it's mainly because in the section on Dhammanupasana the Buddha wants to focus especially on how the fetters arise through the six senses. And so I think his main focus in that section is on the Sangyojana, the fetter. But he wants to show how the fetter, which in this case would be, say, greed or attachment to the pleasant and aversion and repulsion towards the painful, how those two fetters arise through the six sense doors. So that's why he brings in the six sense doors and the six sense objects under Dhammanopasana. That's the way I would understand it. Okay, any, any other questions? That was a good question. <laughs> okay, then we will close for today. And we'll continue next Thursday. And for people who have cars, I have a sticker which a friend of mine sent me from the United States which says META on it. <laughs> if anybody would like a sticker for their car to put on, on the window, they can take one. In the United States, this is very, very useful because if somebody is a, a Theravadan Buddhist and he puts it on his car window then if somebody <laughs> and he doesn't have many friends since there are not many Theravadan Buddhists around in the United States if somebody else is driving by on a 
highway or a roadway and he sees a metta sticker coming from the back window, then he'll know that he has some affinity with that person and then maybe they will stop, he'll hunk his horn, <laughs> and then they will stop and then they will become Dhamma friends. <laughs> yeah, there's two kinds. One is front, one is back, but this one you put from the inside, yeah, you put it this way, and then you see metta from metta. <laughs> but don't fight if they run out. <laughs> I can get more. Ah, yes, just take one. Excuse me? Ah, okay, that's one. Okay. Ah, okay. Did you, did you use that drawing? Yes, yes. Okay. Excuse me?